a lot of times just a whirlwind of craziness. It feels like everything just kind of happens so fast, you have a hard time finding your feet and figuring out where you are and what you're supposed to do next and whose house you're heading to or whose house you don't want to head to next or how you might avoid the next party or, <laughs> or something. Uh, but hopefully you're kind of finding yourself back in, kind of easing back into the flow and um, getting your feet back underneath you as we, we kind of look to the spring, hopefully coming soon. Another thing that goes along with it is, is kind of, I feel like in our society and the news, there's always something pending on the horizon. And I, I got to be honest, I have no idea how to prepare for a winter vortex of cold weather. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I have no idea what's coming. It just seems like it's going to be bad. So I don't know what this week is going to look like, but hopefully we'll all make it back again next week. Uh, uh, I think all of you are mostly regulars here, so uh, a couple announcements that we have coming up that I want to put you on to. Uh, next week, very important thing, we have an Ecclesia meeting, which means we'll have an abbreviated service. Um, we'll end right at 6 o'clock, or try to end as close as, to 6 as possible, and then we'll go pretty quickly right into that meeting. And as you uh, know, the Ecclesia meeting is where we kind of gather as a community to do some of the business that we have going on, and one of the primary things that we'll, we'll be looking at uh, I'm sure we'll have a finance update and all that kind of stuff, but uh, is the transition or a possible move, uh, so getting some of your feedback to the Duke Memorial space. We, we had uh, done a tryout there a couple weeks ago in the Whitford Hall space, so we'll be looking for feedback from you guys on that uh, as the lead team tries to move forward or not uh, with making a decision about that. Um, so please, I think Ben's going to send out an email in that regard kind of later this week. Um, but be thinking about that, be processing it. If you would, please have conversations with one another, uh, with other folks in the community, uh, so that we can really kind of do this as a community and not just somebody somewhere, you know, call an audible or make a shot, uh, take a shot at what we're going to do next. Um, a couple other announcements. I know Josh has an announcement coming up uh, with uh, Lowland Hum. Is that right? Yeah, so Lowland Hum, uh, who has been with us at our worship gathering a number of times, um, is going to do another house show. Uh, they did one last time at the Fishbacks. This one will also be at the Fishbacks. I believe it's the 15th. I saw Sarah Kate, but um, wait. Uh, okay, oh, she's with the kids. Okay, so yeah, it's, I think it's the 15th, which is next Wednesday. Um, and all the information will is up on our Facebook page. We'll put it up on the website, all of that. But tickets are available through this little Eventbrite thing. Um, you can order them online, and uh, we'd love to see you there. I, I was telling people before the service, will be a Lowland Hum-heavy, like, sort of week and a half. If you're interested, they'll be playing the house show on Wednesday. They'll be with us on Sunday. And then the next week, Thursday or Friday, they're playing Motorco. So you can see them three times in, like, ten days <laughs> if you're interested. Get, you can get, if you're an addict, you can get your get your hits right, for a little enough. Um, so as many of you may or may not know, a lot of us probably, some of us come from traditions where we're familiar with the church calendar. Some of us come from traditions where that was never mentioned. We have no idea what that is. Um, we're actually celebrating Epiphany tonight. Technically, Epiphany is not till tomorrow, um, but we're celebrating it as a church tonight. And if you look at kind of the wheel on our icon over here, um, there's this long green swath uh, on the left-hand side as you're facing it, and then a purple at the top, uh, which is Advent, which we went through, and then that... The white section at the top, there's a big point that comes off, and that's Christmas Day. And then we are now at the very end of that white point, which is, there's another little, uh, another, I mean, the white section, and there's another little point there, and that's Epiphany. So we're kind of coming to the end of the Christmas season, um, and Epiphany is the time in the church calendar where we're celebrating God coming in flesh and blood and skin and bone, uh, being incarnated in our presence and, and 
made visible for us, uh, touchable for us. So that's kind of what we'll be talking about tonight. And, and one of the things I love about the church calendar is that it really it sets a rhythm for us. I didn't grow up in a tradition with a church calendar. Um, and, you know, in this kind of just sense that every day is the same, doesn't matter. But something about living into the rhythms of the church calendar, I think, uh, brings back that sense of holidays are really holy days. And setting rhythms for the way that we live, there's times to take breaks, there's times to celebrate, there's times to enjoy fellowshipping with one another and communing with one another in a way that I think sometimes, you know, the, every day is the same, work your tail off 60 hours a week, something that you lose sight of that rhythm, I think, if, you, if we don't live into it. But also, one exciting thing about Epiphany is that Laura Chase always bakes some wonderful bread for us, and there's a little game trick thing that uh, that uh, with the bread. So I'll let her explain that real quickly, if you would. Yeah. Um, it's, so our Epiphany bread is always round. It's supposed to be shaped like uh, the king's crowns, like for uh, the three wise men that supposedly, um, you know, with the give, gifts to Jesus. Anyway, um, there's supposed to be a little baby Jesus figurine in there, but I've never been able to find one. So. Um, <coughs> In each of these round loaves is a whole almond, not to be confused with the sliced almonds that are also in there just because they're tasty. So um, I tried really hard, because I know people get confused with that, but I tried really hard to get like the whole almonds kind of separated from the other tasty things this time so they're easier to find, because I know sometimes it takes us a while. But if you are really... Diligent, you can find, I promise, one whole almond in each of those things, in which case you get to wear the uh, crown, the lovely crown that I have made. Um, and if you can get anyone to do it or listen to you, you can be king for the day. Good luck with that. Um, I'm so sad. I don't see Andy Brogan. I think he's one more than anybody else. Yeah. I was going to say, we all have a chance because Andy is not in the room tonight. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so I do know we have one rainy tubing with this Lindsay I think got it one last year. Um, I don't know who got the other one. I can't remember. But it's, it's a fairer playing field this year because Andy is so. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Laura. We really appreciate that. And we will actually, the text we'll be looking at, which is on the back side of your bulletin tonight, is uh, the visitation of the, the wise men. So we'll talk about that as we move into dialogue. Um, but as we begin and move further in the service, Tim is going to read uh, the prayer for Epiphany, but he's also going to, I think, take a chance to pray for, I know that we have a lot of folks who are coming back to work, starting new work, uh, starting new semesters, kind of uh, all that kind of stuff going on. So I think he's going to pray for us as well. I'm going to know that my theology was right if I, if I die someday and I wake up and I'm eating Laura Chase's cooking and Jenny's hot mulled wine and maybe have like, like get the almond, you know, maybe I can rest it from Andy. I'll know that I'm good. Um, but uh, hey, this is that changeover in life here. If you live in Chapel Hill, Durham, it, it definitely is, you know, this season where uh, our community kind of restores itself to go back into the trenches. And so for those of you who teach 
each school, for the many students in our community. I know if you're in student mode, which I'm in, uh, I was driving back from Atlanta this afternoon and my brain just jumped instantly to deadlines. So I could name every chapter, everything that needs to be written. It's that mode that you're in. And I know for some of you who are just kind of in in the business world, every Sunday night is the night where you kind of put your face back on and get ready to face the week. So I want to just pray for those of you and, and with deep appreciation for so many of you who teach and uh, social workers and people who just are, this is such a profoundly caring community. So um, this is just a prayer for that. And then I'm going to close it with the uh, the prayer from the for Epiphany in the Book of Common Prayer. So please pray with me. God, we thank you for your amazing gracefulness. And we sit in the uh, the changing of a church season, one that is deeply meaningful us uh, in so many ways as we basked in some ways in Christmas as well as we uh, uh, making the transition into Epiphany. And these are things that remind us that you are operative in the world in a way that's sometimes deeply different than the way that the world celebrates that. I, I think today that we live probably in a, a media season where this was wild card weekend uh, in terms of football. But for those of us who sit in the embrace of the church and the work of your redemption, our minds are turned to your grace, your love, uh, uh, deeply meaningful and wonderful things. And I do pray for each person in our community who faces a new week, uh, a new calendar year, as well as many who the change of semester is deeply significant in their life in terms of new classes, new pressures, uh, new deadlines, uh, faculty here who are writing grants, all these things that are, are, are have pressure and evaluations uh, attached to them. Um, or the so many wonderful teachers we have in this community who are preparing for new students at, at all different levels. And we pray that they sense your grace and truly know that you are with them and understand that each of these acts are profound acts of mission and service. Uh, we thank you for them and ask that they sense your grace and mercy as they travel into the next season. In your name we pray. Amen. And this is the prayer for Epiphany in the Book of Common Prayer. Oh God, By the leading of a star, you manifested your only son to the peoples of the earth. Lead us, who know you now by faith, to your presence where we may see your glory face to face. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. children's song, community song for the last quarter has been this song My Deliverer is Coming. We're going to actually start out and we're going to sing the chorus with the kids, how we usually do. They're going to go out and then we're going to continue to sing the song as adults. Is that cool? (laughs) (laughs) My Deliverer is coming
Caesar took his wife and a child. They went to Africa to escape the rage of a deadly king. There along the banks of the Nile, Caesar listened to the song that the captive children. I think this is um, an interesting song that I wanted to put in this spot in the service because one of the things that I, that I hope the music 
uh, does for us is, uh, while I don't want the music to be like jarring, I do want it to sort of challenge different ways that we come at our text and different ways that we might come at a discussion. And so, on the one hand, the last song that we sing is talking about this is like this momentous event, right? That like Jesus is born and the entire world is changed and transformed, right? But this next song sort of looks at that from a different angle and sort of says, the first line says, no banners were unfurled when God stepped into the world. And I think both of those songs are completely true. I think they're both accurate in their description of reality. But this is just a different angle on this. This is a different way to understand the narrative of Christ's coming, the narrative of what God is doing in the world and in our lives. This is called Miriam.
carols that are mended that was want to a miracle a faithful little girl named Mary Oh you are blessed It is the fruit of your tree Yes, you are King of kings Son of Miriam Oh, banners were on the God stepped into the world arms of a little girl in the yard. Amen. Both those songs are going to be a, a wonderful segue in, uh, to our dialogue, but uh, in a way that adds texture continually to kind of what we're going to talk about. Um, at this time, I want to invite you to stand up and greet the folks around you, share the peace of Christ. If you haven't gotten a snack, please grab something or a cup of coffee, uh, whatever you'd like. I know it's a little chilly in here, so maybe you want some coffee uh, to warm you up a bit. Uh, that'd be nice. So please greet each other with the peace of Christ, and I'll call you back in just a minute. Um, as I mentioned, tonight is Epiphany, um, but I want to alert you, the next couple weeks, uh, once again, to refer to our wheel and the icon, um, you'll see there's another section of green at the top. The time after Epiphany is, once again, kind of an ordinary time, but during that time, so uh, I guess it's a s- eight weeks, is that what, is that what it was? Um, the next now, now and March 3rd. Between now and March 3rd, uh, in between now, basically, in the beginning of Lent, we're going to be doing a series on the Gospel of Mark. <laughs> Um, Tim and I will be kind of dialoguing during that time on Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Um, and one thing that we would love for you to do, if you get a chance, um, is to take some time to read the Gospel of Mark, if you would. Uh, it's not a long, it's the shortest of all Gospels, so we've, we've given you a favor, right? <laughs> I think it's only 16 chapters, it moves pretty quickly. Um, but if you could take a chance and read it, and I think actually if you would, if you would, Take the time to kind of read it in one sitting. I think you'll find that that will actually be really helpful as we begin to talk through the book itself. Um, I know that sometimes it's hard to do that, uh, and obviously that's just a suggestion. It's not say, you know, hey, you must do this in order to come. That's not at all what we're saying. But I think we'll find it beneficial as a church if we begin to read the book together. So if you have some time to read, if you get a chance... Uh, try to pick up the Gospel of Mark and begin reading it, because um, we'll start next week. Tim's going to introduce us to the book. Um, we'll have a short service, so he'll do basically just an introduction to it. Um, but then from then on, we'll be discussing the book of Mark. And we're not going to do the kind of, hey, 
We're going to look at one sentence for eight weeks. We're going to move pretty quickly through it. We'll move in big chunks, uh, big themes, but I think one having word, read it. One word for eight weeks. Yeah, one word for eight weeks. And, well, that's, that's going to be Tim's job to do that. I, don't, I can't move that slow. Uh, I have ADD. So, um, so uh, tonight we're going to be looking at this passage from Matthew 2, 1 through 12, uh, which is presented to us in the lectionary uh, for Epiphany. Um, and I did not get somebody to volunteer to read this, so would anybody kind of sitting here volunteer to read this passage for us? So, for many of us waking up on Christmas Day, we woke up a bit disturbed. For millions of people around our world, Christmas Day came with some troubling news. For those of you that are not believers, you may not realize this, but Justin Bieber announced his retirement on Christmas Day this past year. And you can imagine how this was received across the world for the millions and millions of people who have watched this, this, this child, this kid, who was somewhat plucked from obscurity and, and quickly rose to stardom from about 2010 to the present. I mean, he's produced a movie, he has a tour. I mean, and, and, and those of you that don't know this culture, and it is a, a, a deep culture. I've, I've spent all week reading on this. Uh, you don't just become a believer by being a cheap fan, right? I mean, being a believer, there is a whole right system. You have to engage in the deep complexities of whatever Justin Bieber's life is. I'm sure it's very complex and it's very deep. Uh, you have to follow his every move. And so you can imagine the last week and a half has been quite disturbing and quite troubling. I mean, this kid that came from nowhere rose quickly. And at one time, I think in 2012, Forbes magazine had noted that he was 
one of the top three powerful celebrities in all of the world, believe it or not. That quickly come to power, just beginning his career, was already moving into retirement. You can imagine how sad, how disturbing, and how perplexed many of his fans were. Well, thankfully for the devotees of the believers, the 19-year-old has since stated that he's not going to retire. And thankfully, we can look forward to listening to more of his music on the radio and, and, and many more years to come, I'm sure. Now, I've had all this on my mind this week because in some sense, the scripture passage that we just read has a lot of overlaps with that story. The story reports some troubling news about a kid, a child, and a star. It reports people coming and paying homage and, and, and kind of devoting themselves to this person. It has some predictions and some speculation on where he's going to be and what's going to happen. And it has a huge impact on those who believe or believe or whatever they refer to that and follow this person. I've had all this on my mind because in some sense our passage has some very similar themes. Now, obviously a very different or, or a strong difference in our passage is that this is a birth and not a retirement. And usually the births of celebrity children, while their names might be quite disturbing, Blue Ivy, Northwest, Apple, uh, Surrey, you know, these names might be a bit disturbing. Their births are usually greeted with joy. They're usually greeted with a lot of kind of enthusiasm and once again speculation. There's this sense of anticipation around their appearance. After all, there's an entire culture built around how we or where we might see these. I mean, think of, think of Prince George when he made his first appearance on the scene, the, the kind of publicity that was around that event itself. There was a lot of joy, a lot of people standing in the street waiting, anticipating, looking for the child. We have... A whole group of people who get paid wages to get photos, to pay attention to what's going on, to let us know where they're going to be, what these celebrities are doing, and where in the world they might pop up next. So given the atmosphere of the way births normally occur for celebrity people, I want to ask you a question starting off. We just read a passage of the birth of Christ, of Jesus. And given the atmosphere that we normally think of around celebrities, how is our passage different than what we might normally read in the news about the birth of a special child? What strikes you as kind of odd in this passage as a birth narrative? So it's probably a pop culture band. So it's like one of these I'm huge in China deals, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, like this, he's born in Bethlehem, but then these people come from way outside of the thing and say, oh, but they come and look for the celebrity guy that nobody else has heard from. Yeah, it's so odd in our text that people come from such a far off to seek this star, but everybody right around the city is like, who? Who are you talking about? What is going on? Other thoughts? They're allowed near the child. Yeah, our wise men are allowed near the... <laughs> Usually there's be some bodyguards, some people guarding the individual in and, and, and a whole host of ways that if you get too close, you're, you're going to jail or something. 
Yeah, they came with gifts. And so this sense of kind of pouring, this term that homage is used throughout and kind of giving gifts to the child. In some sense, these people coming for, from far off were, were ready and, and maybe expecting this in a weird way. wrong place, right? You know, the people who are coming to visit, you know, these magi that are coming from the east have traveled a far away. They should be coming to Herod, you know, and even Herod is a nobody and a nothing, you know, compared to the the Roman government. But, you know, at least Herod would be legitimate in some sense. They're coming to pay homage to Herod. But but they come and say, Herod, where's the king? (laughs) I mean, you can imagine how that is is quite disturbing to some extent. And, And in some sense, you know, Herod calls his chief priests and the scribes together, it's like the paparazzi has not done its job, right? They know kind of all the prophecies, but they don't know where the child is. They like lost track of the child, you know, where's the child? I don't know what happened to the child. So in some sense, everybody's in the wrong place and everybody seems to have lost sight of, of, of what the big deal is all about. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I don't know. You know, there is all kinds of scholarly speculation. I mean, you you guys know this if, if, you know, kind of you can or you can imagine how much scholarly speculation there is on the star. Is it the alignment of Jupiter and Venus that maybe took place or is it a is it Halley's comet? But in some sense, like uh, the orientation to a different different world and the dependency upon the, the night skies for the ancient mind, but also the kind of radical movement of God into the world. I mean, it's very clear that uh, for Matthew here that this is not just another day, right? It's not just another episode. It's not just another time. It's something very unique is happening here. Uh, God is moving. I also think that it's weird that it's so troubling. I mean, I noted this earlier, but there's a sense that, you know, that term where Herod is is, is frightened. It, it's, it means more disturbed or stirred or, or, or kind of uh, troubled in a certain sense. And, and it doesn't just say that Herod's troubled, but the whole of Jerusalem is troubled by this birth. And in some sense, that, that's very opposite the way that we normally think of a special child being born. Often we think of the special child being born as a time of celebration and greeting, but, but here it's, it's quite disturbing. You may not know. Oh, sorry, Andrew. Absolutely, for that is because if you, you know, the, the real kid 
true light of day that's going to be restored, what's the first thing he's going to hear? The owners come back, oh, not so good if you've been like cooking the books or something like that, right? Yeah. So the king of the Jews, oh, well, all of Jerusalem is, is the people around Herod and, and the people running the temple. So of course they're scared. Yeah, I mean, there's a... You'd have to, I mean, the Jews are not some powerful people. You have to imagine that in their sense, like, hey, we just got this thing settled with Herod. He, yeah, he's not great, but in some sense, at least it's stable. And now all of a sudden there's a new king. Oh, gosh, what's going to happen now? Now we're going to uh, once again enter into a time of just upheaval and destruction. Who knows what the Romans are going to do when they're here? There's another king vying for. So you can imagine the sense of probably there's, there's a sense of trouble brewing. And you may not notice this yet, although Trigger kind of alluded this, uh, to this for us already, because you don't have it in front of you. But this passage is peculiar to Matthew. In Luke, you get the, the shepherds, the kind of shepherds in the rural scene. They come and celebrate the birth of the Christ child. In Mark and in John, they're completely silent about this. But in Matthew, we have this visitation of the Magi. And also, Matthew goes to great pains when he's giving us his genealogy and when he's describing what comes prior, the birth of, of Christ and kind of the conception of Christ, to show that this is the Jewish Messiah. This is the son of David. This is the person that we've been speaking about as a people. It's also followed by some running into Egypt, the song that we sang, a story of, of Joseph and Mary having to flee the scene, which occurs only in Matthew as a result of Herod's displeasure and trouble over what's going on. So I'll ask you another question here. Why do you think Matthew includes this episode? What do you think we're intended to learn from this episode? And what do you think Matthew's hoping to tell us with it? Why does he include this specifically? What might Matthew be saying? <coughs> There's this sense of, uh, of while Matthew is highlighting the fact that this is the Messiah, this is the expected one of Israel, that its impact is on the whole of the world. That, that the Gentiles, or those who are not Jewish, are the ones kind of being, their space being open for the outsiders to come in. And in fact, as Jim just said, they're the ones in a weird way who recognize it. And they see the star and the chief priests and the scribes don't see it in a, in a weird way. Trigger?
Yeah, there's a way in which we see, and if we were to read the first several chapters of Matthew, uh, Jesus is reliving the life of Israel almost. He's like repeating or recapitulating the life of Israel. You know, being, coming here as the king and, and, and the son of David, fleeing into Egypt, being led back out of Egypt. Uh, we'll see him later as the Sermon on the Mount go up onto the mountain like Moses did and teach. In some sense, he's reliving the whole of Israel. But in a weird way, at the same time, that term homage pops up throughout Matthew. It's a very important term throughout the book. And in a weird way, a lot of times when it pops up, not always, it's the Syrophoenician woman or the Canaanite woman who comes, the, 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 the centurion who comes and pays homage to Jesus, the magi here. In a weird way, uh, sometimes it's the outsiders who come and pay homage to the one who is the new head or the lead of Israel, the expected one of Israel. And that's juxtaposed a lot of times this word paying homage or kind of being a devotee to taking offense, which so often in the, in the whole of Matthew's gospel is what happens to those people who think they've got it all figured out, who think they know where the Messiah should be and what the Messiah should look like. They take offense at Jesus because Jesus does not appear as the Messiah that they think, but then homage is paid by those on the outside. Any other thoughts about why Matthew might have included this? I mean, there's no real, there's no kind of hidden answer to this. There's no certain answer to this. It's just... I think going along with that, this is like a preview that Jesus is not what people expected. He's not what you would have expected. That just like the foreigners and, you know, the people who were Gentiles are the ones that maybe recognized him first and paid him homage. Like, are not going to be what the religious people thought. And I think, like, we as a church, way back when we started, you know, a number of years ago, that's something we talked about. Like, Jesus isn't always what we expect, and we need to be willing to be open to receive that and not just say, you know, we know exactly what he's like. And so I think this just calls me back to that. Like, yeah, sometimes I need to be transformed in my understanding of who God is because he's not what we expect. Yeah, there's a real way here where when God moves to save humanity, which is what we're looking at here, the beginning of that story, that it comes in a way that, that, that we would least expect it. You would expect God's entry into the world, God's appearing, God's coming in skin and flesh and bone to be a royal occasion. But here it pops, I mean, there's a reason why the life of Brian is so funny. Because in some sense, the ordinariness, the kind of like, oh, we might have gotten the house wrong and, and, and placed you know, the child as somebody who's just an ordinary person, it makes sense. Because in some sense, this is not a royal entry. In some sense, with the Magi, it is. But in a lot of ways, it's just ordinary. It's just a common household who have a child. And God's entry and beginning to save comes in a very different way. One of the things that also jumped out to me, and we've mentioned this a little bit, but it's just that it... it it happens in a time. It happens to specific people in a particular place. Matthew goes out of his way to note that this is the time of Herod. 
And that these are the things that are going on. And that God's entry into the world doesn't happen on a plane that's somewhere up here or somewhere where our souls are disconnected from bodies or where people live uh, beyond uh, what their body can do. But he enters into the nitty gritty. Uh, the very tactile, the very flesh and blood experience and the very temporality, the very history of who we are as human beings. In some sense, I think Matthew goes out of his way to show us that this is God's entry into the real world, the real messy world of our lives. You know, we use the term orientation a lot. A lot of times we, in our culture, we'll talk about sexual orientation. We'll talk sometimes about political orientation. We'll talk often, sometimes people will talk about architectural orientation and kind of how you're structured in a building and different things like that. We use the term orientation a lot. And a lot of times we do that without thinking much about what orientation means. One of the earliest uses of the term orientation was actually by sailors who would use the stars to orient themselves on the open seas, where there are no real markers for where you are and where you're headed. And they would use things like the North Star and the various constellations that were above them in the night sky to know where they were going, to make sense out of their way, and to figure out how to get along the path and to where they wanted to be. And in some sense, I think, what we're focused on here and what is thrown out for us here is Matthew points us to an orienting star in a certain way. That the birth of the Christ child, the coming of God as an, an, an incarnation, is in some sense an orienting event for us. It's an orienting event for us as Christians that God would enter into the world, that God would become flesh and bone, that God would begin and decisively act in human history in this way. But I want to throw that back to you first. What's implied for us in this incarnation, if we take it as an orienting event, if we figure out, make sense of our lives, kind of where we're headed by this event of the, the incarnation of God's coming in flesh, how might that affect the way that we live? What if we were to take this as an orienting star? I know that's a broad question in some sense, but what might that say for us? Time, uh, time space, and bodies are going to matter a whole lot because it's so deeply physical. And it's, there's mundaneness, there's cosmic significance, but uh, things that we might... Uh, might treat as ancillary to our lives are going to matter a whole lot. Yeah, there's a way in which it contradicts sometimes a whole lot of what we think Christianity, or the Christianity we've been sold a lot, a Christianity that we've been sold that only souls matter. Oh, nice. That friend visited earlier today, and now, now it's, it's a baby squirrel, so visions of, uh, what is that, Christmas vacation are probably popping up in your head at this point. <laughs> Thank goodness during the Dan Rose yeah. style. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. <laughs> the unexpected. The unexpected. Yeah, there's a way in which... Uh, yeah, Elizabeth, did you want to jump in? I was just going to say, showing up. Yeah. It's really mad. Like, yeah. You know, you've got God showing up in our world. 
around her to show up. And it didn't really, I mean, it's, I doubt that gold frame sits in her, like, Yeah, yeah, there's a way in which tying, I think, those two together that, you know, often we think of Christianity as well. It's something about your soul, about, you know, kind of when you die, whether you go to heaven or hell or something like that. But in, in a weird way, <laughs> I can't compete with that. There's just no way to compete with that. Yeah, I think that's great. It's great. I was really hoping Mark Williams would be on deck when this happened. We could sing it out, you know. Actually, I was thinking, wouldn't that be a disaster if you were if somebody was in the restroom over there and all of a sudden this little, that that would really be a you talk about an epiphany. That would be. An epiphany. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody want a pet squirrel? <laughs> all right, all right. Now, in that back room, they come with a special prize. Talk about Epiphany Almonds. How about the, the pet squirrel? <laughs> so, I think there's a way in which we're oriented. A way, not so much in the sense of like Christianity is not about our souls. It is about the holistic human being. But there's a way in which we are drawn back here to saying, actually, our lives, the, the reality of showing up for people, the reality of engaging with one another, the reality of being flesh and bone matters. And it doesn't just matter to us, but it matters to God. That God's investiture in, in our human world is a complete investiture in the human world. Any other uh, kind of sense of how we might be oriented by the birth of the Christ child and the visitation of the Magi here? When he had so much care about everybody loving each other, and all he did was help everybody <coughs> and show the way that he wanted to live, mm -hmm. it was simple. Yeah. It's almost hard to take that out. Yet I think there's a real way in here, kind of playing off of what you're saying, Kenny, is there's an openness to outsiders that we already have present here. In some sense, the Christ child's coming into uh, human flesh and bone already places on the scene for us the sense that outsiders are going to be drawn in. And that part of our orientation in the world should be the expectation that outsiders should be welcomed. And that not just welcome, but that outsiders might actually point us to the star. Outsiders might actually offer us things that we need to learn. There's a built-in sense of the receptivity, I think, already here in our passage. And we're just at the beginning of Matthew. You can imagine how this is going to build and crescendo as we go on throughout the text of Matthew. But already here, we notice that it's the outsiders who, who, who are welcomed and, and brought in. Any other last parting shots here?
Yeah, I had never thought about that. That's actually a really good point. I think, in, we, you know, for those of us that grew up in kind of puritanical backgrounds, extravagance is like the one sin you never commit, you know. Uh, but there's a sense here already that extravagance in some, in some way will be part of what it means to live in relationship with God, for humanity to be reunited with God. We talked already about the church calendar and its orientation around holy days and the sense of holy days being days that are really celebrated, that days where, where, where we celebrate the kind of communion with one another and communion with God. And I think in a real way here, we're, you know, this didn't just, hey, you know, jump on a jet plane, fly, visit the Christ child, jump back, you know, drop off a couple gifts, that's great. This is something that, that took probably quite a long time to do and a lot of, of work and probably some sense of, uh, of probably preparation um, in a way. I think there's also a sense where we're drawn, and we've, we've talked about this, we're, we're drawn into the fact that God's decisive action for the salvation of the world has already occurred. That in some sense, yes, we're expecting more of it to break open, more of it's going to unfold, but the decisive act of God in the world has already occurred. And that for us, we can live in hope as people who know that God's redemption of the world, God's act to heal the world, while not complete, the decisive event, the, the one that breaks the back, the one that really changes where things are heading, has already occurred with the birth and the life of this child. As we move here into conclusion, I think what we find here at the beginning of Matthew and in the celebration of the Incarnation is not God's retirement. It's not a self-consumed publicity stunt. It's not a ploy of a narcissistic career. But it's a real act of God in joining human history in a decisive way. It's a critical point where history is turned towards salvation for all. But most especially, as we would see if we were to continue to read Matthew, those who are lost, oppressed, those who are sinners, and those who are outcast. It's true the powerful and the capable find this hard to believe, that this act is the center of history, and that they themselves are not. But it's also good news offered to them to give up the way of maintaining power by violence, to see the world as moving toward salvation, where homage is given to the real king who can accomplish what every political and economic structure promises, true peace, joy, grace, and love. Even in saying it, I, I have to admit it seems a little bit hard to believe. It's a little bit hard to see. And it also may be somewhat troublesome. But this is the star of orientation for us. The decisive act of God on behalf of us. And it remains. If we were to recognize this, I think it would be our epiphany. And in some sense, that's what epiphany places before us here tonight if we will just see it. Amen.
Josh and I were, <clears throat> were talking about this next song over email in the last couple of days, and, and we, we were talking about how it could go in sort of either spot right now. It could go in the spot of confession, or it could go in the spot of absolution. And, and sort of the, the phrase, you know, peace on earth, sort of seems like that should be, you know, an absolution. But, but I think that what Bono is doing when he writes these lyrics, there's a, there's a pleading sort of behind it. Um, when we get to some of the lyrics singing them, I think you'll see what I mean. But there's, there's just this sense of like, I, I'm hoping that maybe God will show up and, and bring about peace on earth because I don't really see it right now. And so, there, to me, there, there's a sense of, of expectation, a sense of hope, even a sense of despair that goes along with these lyrics, of wondering if, if God is actually going to accomplish uh, what he says he's going to accomplish. i 
This is our song of absolution tonight. That somehow we would uh, we would be shown the future, shown the hope, shown that there is in fact a river where mercy flows.
Many of us have learned, uh, maybe again over the past several weeks, giving gifts can be really difficult. And the reason why giving gifts can be so difficult is you have to strike this balance, right? You want to get something that the person wants, obviously, but you want to get something that they maybe don't know they want. You still want to surprise them, right? You have to strike a balance between simply buying something off their Amazon wish list. Right? And buying something totally out of the blue. Right? You want them to open it and say, that I've always wanted this and I didn't know it until right now. Right? Sort of like the epiphany squirrel. I never knew I needed one. So <laughs> right now, and now I know that I've always needed the epiphany squirrel. That's right. <laughs> um, uh, when Sarah and I were first dating, um, we started dating at the beginning of December. And so... It was this obligatory Christmas gift exchange that had to take place, but we had only been dating like three weeks, so we didn't really know what to get each other. And so we did, I think by all accounts, a terrible job of buying presents for one another. I got her a really ugly sweater and a book, because I assumed that she was a bookish nerd like me, and she got me business cards and a tie because she assumed that I had ambition like her, (laughs) neither one of which was true. And so we tell this story a fair amount about this first Christmas because it's funny. And, but I realized recently when we were telling it that there was actually another gift that was given on that Christmas that I have never gotten credit for, which is that I also gave her a garlic press. Okay. Right. Now, hear me out. The reason why that gift doesn't get recounted in the story is because it was something that she did not ask for, so it was not on her list. But it was something that instantly worked its way into our daily routine. It's the only thing from that gift exchange, not only that we still own, but we use two or three times a week when we're preparing food. Uh, And it, it, it almost gets forgotten as a gift, because it was something that so quickly and easily became incorporated to simply what we always did which was cook in the kitchen together. It was something that we sort of forgot came into our relationship at some point. You sort of assume that we, we've always had a garlic press, 
right? Because we cook with a lot of garlic. In some ways, I think the table is an interesting corollary maybe to our garlic press or epiphany squirrel, right? It's something that is in many ways unexpected. It certainly was unexpected in Jesus' day. It's a table where everyone was welcome, where everyone was forgiven, where uh, there was always enough. And yet it's something that so quickly becomes a part of our everyday lives. The breaking of bread with one another, the sharing of food with one another, communing around the table is something that seems so natural to us. And we have to remember that it came into our lives initially as a gift. So uh, here at Emmaus Way, we celebrate an open table. We encourage you to break the delicious epiphany bread for one another, saying the body of Christ broken for you, to pour wine and juice for one another, saying the blood of Christ shed for you, and to remember that this table is full of the gifts of God for us, the people of God. Welcome to the table.